You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You might need to shift the way you think about how you spend money in your everyday life. For travel, think about where you can throw money, however much, towards what will actually bring you sanity instead of just maximizing your dollars, which is how you have to think about your budget. You know, for everyday life, you want to make the most of your money. I think on travel, you really need to prioritize your sanity. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I am one very excited Stacy because today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, favorite things to do, family travel. So recently while sharing pics of my spring break trip with my family to Columbia a few months ago, we received a ton of DMs both in my personal account and in the Didn't I Just Feed You account that people are curious to hear more about just traveling with kids. Like, how do we do it? We've been doing it a long time. How do you do it without losing your mind? Which we'll talk a lot about. And also (laughs) how to share meaningful food experiences with them because food tends to take a really central role in our family trips. And I think people have picked up on that over the years of me sharing on Instagram. So we're going to be talking about all of that good stuff today. Yay. I'm excited to learn everything from you. But before we get into that, a quick reminder of all the things. If you haven't already subscribed to Dana and I Just Feed You, hit that button right now. We just made our plan for the summer editorial calendar, and we are so excited to share that we're going to be doing a summer sprint we're calling the Summer of Solutions. Woo! Through June and July, we are going to be publishing succinct episodes that focus tightly and very practically on a single cooking solution that's especially helpful during the summer months when demands are kind of different on us than they are during the school year. Think ways to keep produce fresh, camping food, microwave and instant pot cooking, because who wants to stand at the stove, and more. So subscribing to Didn't I Just Feed You through your favorite podcast player will help ensure that you get every single episode in real time, which is when you're going to want them. Also, our Didn't I Just Feed You community is going to play a big part in this summer series. Since all the episodes will be solution-oriented, we'll also be starting threads there so that we can collect even more ideas, recipes, and tips. So subscribing to our community, which you can do through our bio on Instagram, on our site, didn't I just feed you.com backslash community will help ensure that you don't miss out on that bonus content. All right. So with all that, all our business taken care of, let's talk about travel. That time when you think you'll get a break from managing kids and life, but actually you just do it all from a new place. <laughs> I know. Isn't that a long time meme on the internet of like yes. vacation is just dishes with a different view? Yeah, but we're going to talk about that because I also want to talk about where to stay. Yeah. Because I think the default tends to be for families to stay in like Airbnb since that's so easy to do now or like apartments and kitchens. And um, I don't think that's always the right answer. Okay. I think that's fair. So. I will just say uh, we have done a lot of like road trip travel with our kids who, as a reminder, are 10 and seven. When we do road trips, though, we do a combination of like if we're in a place for more than two nights, we'll stay at an Airbnb. Otherwise, we're at a hotel. 
And I feel like that's totally different than the kind of travel that you do with your family, which is like flights and you go for a longer period of time and you're doing more international travel. Um, so I really feel like in this episode, I'm defaulting on you being this like travel <laughs> expert. I hope you feel comfortable with that. I actually do because I've been traveling with my kids for a really long time through the ages. And as I was gathering notes, I was really mindful to think about how it's changed. We did do one big road trip and we had actually decided to rent a house at the beginning. We drove from Los Angeles to the mid Oregon coast and we took like a week to drive and we decided to rent homes in Los Angeles and then at our destination in Oregon. Mm -hmm. But we stayed at hotels along the way because we felt like we were going to be so tired from driving that we couldn't take good advantage of the main perks of a home, which is like really spreading out using the kitchen to save money on food. But I was like, I'm not going to want to cook after a long day of driving and being in the car. And it's nice to have a pool. Exactly. Hotels have, that. yeah, have some amenities. Yes. So like being able to get out of the, the pool and in a home, it feels more like, unless you've rented, you know, a big home with a pool and a backyard, which I know those are available, but just renting a home for a night or two on the road, especially if you're being more budget conscious, like might not offer the same kind of relief and release <laughs> that the kids need after they've been in the car all day to just like go in a pool, splash around, be crazy, and then go crash on a bed watching TV. And let's be honest, the whole like exit protocol for each individual Airbnb is like another layer of totally. work for parents. Like if you're just staying one night, it makes so much more sense to do a hotel and then like you get in, everyone sleeps, you do the pool, you eat out or whatever, and then get out in the morning. And I do think that people think of, oh, if you cook yourself, you're going to save money on food. But, you know, all of these tips end up being interrelated. But you can eat cheaply on the road, staying at a hotel, grab fast food or like make dinner a slice of pizza. Do you know what I mean? Which relates to another tip we'll talk about later, which is letting go of expectations, especially around food when you're traveling. Yeah, I think there's something there too where people are like, oh, you can just go get groceries and you'll save a lot more money. But that doesn't account for like having to buy more ingredients than you'll possibly need or use in the time you're on vacation too. And it doesn't give enough opportunity to be spontaneous, which is supposed to be one of the perks of vacation. Yes. We talked about we talked about this in another episode that was related. I think it was about like road trip travel. That one time we went on a vacation. We were living in Idaho at the time and we went to Lake Tahoe for a week with my brother and his wife. And I meal planned the whole thing because we were like on such a budget at that time. And it was terrible. It didn't <laughs> it didn't give us the opportunity to like eat things and be spontaneous. And then it just tied me to the kitchen the whole time because I had planned things that like I couldn't hand off to other people. So we're already getting into some tips, but I want to start with one that kind of sets the stage because I think that people travel all different ways and on very different budgets. And something that I feel passionately about is that travel should be accessible to as many people as possible. I understand that some budgets don't allow for travel at all. But if you are thinking about travel, you're listening to this episode, you're willing to put some willing and able to put some budget towards it, you might need to shift the way you think about how you spend money in your everyday life. For travel, think about where you can throw money, however much, towards what will actually bring you sanity instead of just maximizing your dollars, which is how you have to think about your budget, you know, for everyday life, you want to make the most of your money because you want to save some and you want to, you know, maximize the value. I think on travel, you really need to prioritize your sanity. So for example, if the thought of spending a week in a hotel room with your kids or your entire family sounds horrible, 
there's no way you can like polish that turd. Like you're going to spend all this money (laughs) on vacation and planning a vacation. And if you're insisting on saving money by having one hotel room and everyone being in there, you're already setting yourself up to think like travel isn't worth the money. This is miserable because you're going to be miserable in a room. So is there somewhere else where you can skimp so that you can get two adjoining rooms? Because that's a big additional cost. That was one of the first things that Mike and I learned about travel. And we immediately started putting budget towards two rooms. Brilliant. Immediately. Mike and I hate sharing a room with our kids. So if that means taking a more budget flight, if that means, you know, whatever it means, like reducing the food budget, we'll do it. We're going to have separate rooms. It's the only thing. It's just not enjoyable otherwise. Yeah. And like you said, maybe you decide to do a road trip instead of that like big international flight so that you can actually enjoy it by having two rooms or staying somewhere. Yes. Affordable. Yes. If travel is something that's really, really exciting or important to you the way it really is for us. I would say if your kids are still young, start, start doing it. So much of travel and being comfortable with travel and getting your kids comfortable with travel is habits. It's just habits because there is so much that is inconvenient. There's so much downtime. There's so much boring stuff. And the more you travel and the more adventurous you get, there's delays, there's long rides to go to like, a more off the beaten path place. It can be boring. It can be hard. And just like exercising that muscle, I think is really important. And you can do that by just starting with much more affordable short trips around in your own state, like driving away for a weekend, then maybe taking a longer road trip, then kind of just getting in the habit and practicing, I think is really, really good. And I also think another thing that Mike and I started to do because we knew we wanted to spend more money on hotel rooms. We looked for, this is years ago, credit cards that gave us airline points because we wanted to pay for airline tickets that were more expensive using points. Like we wanted, that was something we were going to prioritize travel. We knew we wanted to take a minimum of one trip a year with our kids every single year from the time that Isaac was really like very young. There was We took him on his first international trip. He was three months old, but I was kind of piggybacking on a work trip for Mike. But that got us started because taking infants is actually so much easier than you think. So I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is pretty easy. Then there was a break. And then when Isaac was maybe like six and Oliver like three, we took a trip. And then from then on, we've been going pretty regularly. So we were like, okay, let's sign up for credit cards that give us airline points. And that has been really, really helpful. Okay, going back to those baby and toddler things. If you're going to start early, I really, really believe that traveling with babies up until two is so much easier than people might expect. There's a gear issue. (laughs) That can be hard for sure. And also jet lag can be hard on infants because they just really rely on their regular schedule. So maybe like thinking about um, time zones and a recent discovery the last three years, we really, really enjoyed if you really want to go international and feel like it's adventurous going, if you're in North America traveling through the Americas, like Central America Mm. and South America, because the time zones are um, pretty much the same. So that's a way that you can feel adventurous. Some places in Central and South America are like more outdoor adventure and you can miss out if you're with an infant because you can't do that. But actually, like, if you don't mind, if you're not looking to like zip line the whole time, maybe. Or whitewater. Yeah, or whitewater. You know, I think that's a really great option. And actually, it's a great way to chill because if you're going to eventually want to take your older kids on those adventures, a lot of times you have to look at the age restrictions because whitewater rafting, zip lining, a lot of this stuff, you can't do again until the kids are like 12 and 13. 
and much mm-hmm. older because they just don't meet the height requirement or the safety requirement. So that's a consideration. From like toddlers, I found traveling with toddlers really, really the hardest. I would say consider going to places that you've either been before or that you don't feel like you need to see everything. Okay. Because I feel like traveling with toddlers all the way into like school age, you really need to plan for downtime. You want to, that is a time when I really felt like I relied on Airbnbs and apartments because there's so much snacking. You want a lot of downtime, like maybe you want to go back for naps and you want like a separate room or separate space where you can relax while, you know, your toddler is taking a nap. You want to be someplace where you like there are playgrounds and pools and stuff where they can just have fun. So one of my favorite trips when the kids were in that stage was to Rome because Rome is a city that I love that makes me happy, but I had been to before. And instead of going someplace new where I wanted to see everything, I just got to like soak up being a local, like I can just be here. I I love cities. So cities, I think are a great place to go with school age kids. Cause I felt like, you know, we would go walk around in the morning, then we could go back to the apartment, eat a little lunch, take naps, relax, then go hit the playground you know, and I would just sit around and then you actually end up meeting the kids, meet other kids. And that's really fun. And you meet other parents and you can ask like, what's there to do? Like, is there a children's museum around here? You can kind of find the intel from other parents at the playground. Also beach vacations are good for this age. I also found that when they were toddlers to school age was a good time to pair up with another family and travel with another family so that you're a group and you have more (laughs) grownups. to help (laughs) or grandparents were really helpful planning a trip with grandparents. I think that's also a great tip. If you're a single parent, like if you're one adult with multiple kids, finding group tours or finding a way to pair up so that you're not the only grown up and like everything doesn't fall on you. Because again, that's going to take away from your pleasure, like really identifying those pinpoints for what's going to make this hard for me and make me feel like that meme where I'm like, it's the same old, but I'm somewhere else. And I've just spent all this money to be somewhere else. What a waste, you know, finding other grownups to help you, I think is really, really important. But also there's a brilliance too in getting your kids with other kids because then they are also having an increased satisfaction of the vacation and feeling like they're having a good time. Yeah, totally. So for school-aged kids, I find that this is a really great time to travel. It's so fun, but you do need to engage them. And this is the time that we started using guides And I just want to make a plug for guides and guided tours. The way Mike and I traveled when we, before we had kids, I did everything. I did a ton of research, like off the beaten path. Everything was like, I wanted to like get in there and like be on my own and feel like it was adventurous and meet people locally and find out what was going on. You know, and that's great. That works in certain circumstances when you're a family, like I was just saying, meeting people on a local playground. But in general, we don't have time for that anymore, (laughs) especially when we have school-aged kids and life is so busy and there's so much going on. And I was reluctant to do guided things. It is so great. And if you even just do a search, we're going to Morocco this summer, so that's on top of mind. Like Morocco family tours, like... TripAdvisor, read the reviews, like do the research a little bit to get the right guide because then the guide will do the rest for you. So you invest a little bit of time in your research, but then they'll help you figure it out because school-age kids are happy to be with their families still. They're not like teens and tweens, which we will get to. They're willing to engage, thinking about stuff they like. So one of our trips, we went to Turkey and... Oliver and Isaac were both really into like Percy Jackson and mythology and Greek and Roman gods. They both still are really into that stuff. So I just found a tour guide who was helping us 
like go to some of these places that were the setting in some of their favorite books. Like we were focusing on like mythology and gods and like the ancient world. And I feel like school age kids are really open to engaging in this way. If you can help them make those connections and make it relevant. Like if your kid doesn't like art, then spending lots of time going to museums or picking a destination where you're like, I've always wanted to go here because I want, I've always wanted to go to Paris because I want to go to the Louvre. Like maybe this is not the time because your kids are going to be miserable. Yeah. It's the solo trip then to take by yourself or with your partner. Yeah. Or if you're really committed to travel, it's the trip that you'll do in a few years or whatever. You know, the, the world is big. I think that finding destinations that are going to make everybody happy is a key part to making it pleasurable. So like expand your bucket list beyond just like, oh, I've always wanted to go there you know, or a girl's trip. Maggie, you want to go to Paris with me? <laughs> uh, very much. Yes. And I think that as school-age kids, giving them a say in what you do is really, really important versus with teens and tweens. I, I think of it as ha- letting them have a say in where we go as well as in what we do when we're there. So that's like a shift that we're making now. But like what we do, we're connecting it to things they love is just like really makes things more pleasurable. I know we joked at the beginning, like, oh, it can be a vacation can just be the same thing with a different view for grownups. And we're thinking of dishes and feeding our family, but thinking about kids and like not just giving them. I know you you were saying when they're really little parks, new parks, uh, new playgrounds seem like a grand adventure, but we also want to make sure that to get our kids engaged in travel, we're not also just giving them the same view. Like it's not just parks and playgrounds and pools and iPad. It's something that they're really interested in. I am so glad you mentioned iPad. Let's talk really quickly about teens. And then I want to get to that because I think this is a huge piece of it. Before we talk about teens, can we take a break to hear from this week's sponsors? Let's do it. Stacy, it's getting warmer and the weather has me so ready for a wardrobe update, but I want it to be for the long haul without spending a fortune. Quince is your place. It's not easy to get quality pieces that you can count on to last without investing a ton of money. But at Quince, I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I love the pieces I bought from Quince last year, too. I wear my linen pants nonstop. I'm so impressed with what I get for the price, which is 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes which means it's time to snag their 100% washable silk skirts and camis that I've been eyeing. And don't forget, Quince has the chicest accessories for great prices. Get warm weather ready with us and Quince. Go to quince.com slash D-I-J-F-Y for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. We know you're seeing all the Mother's Day gift guides everywhere. And while we usually do some Didn't I Just Feed You version, this year we have the one perfect Mother's Day gift that works for everyone, even our last minute shoppers, mylifeinabook.com. Mylifeinabook.com is a unique service that turns the life stories of people you love into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your gift recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions that they provide, or you can customize the questions the way that I did for my mom. Your recipient can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. Mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. I'm really excited to be creating a book with my own mom this year, and I can't wait to hear some of her childhood memories, what it was really like raising three kids as a single mother, and how she's enjoyed becoming a grandmother, too. And when the book is done, you'll have a beautiful keepsake for her and for you, too. You can even choose to have an audiobook created from the recordings. 
It's easy to sign up and the process is automated so you don't have to worry about missing a week. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code D-I-J-F-Y at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code D-I-J-F-Y for 10% off today. This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with Byheart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is Byheart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You? Additional terms and conditions apply. Okay, Stacy, teens. So with toddlers, I talked about downtime. I want to say that I think teens also need downtime. <laughs> I mean, grownups need downtime. They do, Everybody they needs, do. But like... Yeah. I, in general, across all the ages, I really have found, and I've done a lot of touring in a lot of different places, a half day of touring and a half day of relaxing is so plenty for kids of all ages. And then, you know, the cadence of how many days are you going to do that versus a half day tour and a relaxing afternoon, and then one or two days of nothing unplanned before your next half day tour so there's the cadence within the day and then the cadence across your itinerary. I have really found that for like when my kids were school age, and this is going to vary depending on your demeanor, your kid's demeanor, everyone's energy levels and thresholds, like jet lag plays a role. But, you know, when we moved out of that toddler stage and went into that school age stage, I really found that most days, I could have something planned for half a day. And that worked better for us because my kids are very all about the iPad and just doing nothing in screens. And they will stay in a hotel room and play iPad all day if I let them. So at those school year, the school aged years, I really did plan a half day something almost every single day, whether it was just like, and now we're going to all like go play beach games on the beach. Because otherwise it was like, it was just a screen day and that wasn't comfortable for me. You know, as they get older again, like when they were toddlers, this I'm talking, I'm thinking a lot about how teens and toddlers like mirror each other, those phases mirror each other. But now I'm putting more free days in between because, you know, Isaac just wants to go walk around a city with me. Or if he's at a resort, maybe there's a teen club or there's a, a way that he can just be by himself. If you feel safe and it's a city that you visited before, or it's a place where they can ride bikes, letting him put in his AirPods and go spend four hours or three hours completely on his own away from us. That's really important. You know, it's not just downtime to relax from all the activity. It's also like just having space from each other. Yeah. It's downtime for autonomy for him to do what he wants to do. Yes. So I think that that becomes a lot more important. I find myself being more drawn again, back to cities and places where, you know, the kids are older and they can, you know, it's not just museums and historical tours, which when they were school aged, I could make connections and they'd be excited now they just kind of like want to be in a place and soak it up and kind of get the culture and like have a lot of downtime. Downtime is easier for me, Stacy, in a city because I'm like, okay, everyone wants to chill. Well, then I'm going to go walk around and do something. 
because I'm an activity. Find a market, yes. find a wine bar. Right? Yes. Like if we're just at a beach place and they're like, we just want two down days in a row, I go mad because I'm like, well, yes. I'm bored. What You're am like, I, gonna- I don't want to sit on the beach and read a book for two days. Yes. So again, that goes back to being honest with yourself about how you are and who you are and matching your destination with everybody's kind of demeanor with these tips more as like a broad general outline, you know? Okay. So I wanted to talk about iPad, but just again, before we move on to that, I talked about guides. I also want to talk about travel agents. I work with a travel agent that I love, 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 love. And now we've worked together for so many years that I can be like, we want to go here. And I know that I'll get an itinerary that fits my budget. And that is exactly what we want to do. I barely have to do any work because like they've learned how we work and how we like to travel. And like, as the kids change, I'll be like, oh yeah, like Isaac's so not into that anymore. Or we had a traumatic whitewater rafting experience. Please no more <laughs> whitewater rafting or no water activities. Yes. <laughs> so travel agents still exist. There is a perception that they add a lot of cost. That is not true. A lot of travel agents have a small planning fee And a lot of times that planning fee is made up for the discounts they can get you at hotels because they have relationships. So they save you time. I believe the money becomes a wash, but even if you spend a little extra money, it will be nominal compared to what you think most likely. And if you work with someone who works with family specifically, and there are a lot of them out there now, like family travel experts are, that's like a thing you'll discover if you search Instagram um, and go down many black holes the way I have. <laughs> it's really, really helpful. So I, I'll i put a link to my travel agent because I love them so much, but they're family owned. They're pretty small. I don't know, like they're not like a mega travel agency. Right. So I don't know like how much business they want or need or can take on. But I love like you know, when Sam, my travel agent comes to New York because she lives in Austin, Texas. Like we get together for coffee and talk and it's lovely. And I feel like she knows us and our family. Okay. iPads. I just want to say that people love looking at family travel on Instagram. I just talked about it. I do it myself. That is a tiny fraction of what's actually happening on a family trip. Like for every cool experience we're arguing, Mike has literally threatened. I remember one trip we were in Peru Isaac was like a tween. He was just getting into those moody years. We were on a boat going to see like penguins or something. And it was like so cool. And we were so excited. And he put his hood up and he was in the worst mood. And it was like a group tour. It wasn't like private. So like all these people, we felt like he was being not rude because he's not a rude kid, but like he's being sullen. Just for the two of you, it was disruptive. And Mike was like, when we go home, I'm in a prorate the price of this trip. And I'm going to take the price of this tour, this day, whatever he said, like out of your allowance, if you don't turn this attitude around, you know, <laughs> it was like that the most outlandish threads. Yeah. It was like the first thing that he could think of, because I know that he felt anxious. Like I spent money on this, like this, I don't want it to feel like a waste. You know what I mean? Like, there is that pressure of we just invested money. That is not a small deal. Right. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're someone who has a huge disposable income, this means something. We've chosen to take our money and put it here and give you an experience. And now you're acting. Yeah. And that's hard too. Right. Like, yes. Okay. We, we got us here. We took time off of work. We got us here. We want to do this penguin tour. Yes, we want to see like make memories. And like, <laughs> I bet Mike would would happily have been like on a beach or at a bar, like yes. reading a book. <laughs> yes. I know it's not for you, but I bet Mike would yes, not mind that right. one bit. And you're he's right. Like getting out of the house with other people on a boat, trying to make a damn memory. Yeah, get with it, Isaac. Get with but it. Wait, you didn't answer the question. Did that work? No. Well, of course not. It never does. 
So the point is that like, you know, that's not the stuff that we show on Instagram, like the ridiculous threats, the tears, the fights, the the bribery, the bribery. So, you know, the expectation, your expectation has to be <laughs> that you'll keep low expectations. I think making plans or having a travel agent help you make plans and then being willing to let them go, being realistic, understanding that there is... I've, I looked at a bunch of travel, like best trips, best tips for traveling with your family articles before this. And I think it's funny that a lot of them are like, set expectations around screen time with your kid. Like there'll be certain hours or blah, blah, blah. I say, no, I don't know. Maybe other people can do that more successfully than me. My expectations of our kids are when I will make plans to make sure you're engaged for part of the day. And I will also give you downtime. The downtime is theirs. It is theirs. And it really has to be downtime so that they can feel recharged, especially when jet lag's involved, to like show up at those activities that I plan respectful, which is what I expect. When we're with a guide, when someone's taking time, I don't need you to be like fully engaged. There's lots of time that Isaac is like off and you can tell he's barely paying attention, but you won't pull out your phone then because that's disrespectful when someone's talking to you. That's about the extent of it. I don't want you to be rude to people. Pay attention as much as you can pay attention. And then your free time is really yours, but really use it because tomorrow we're going on another tour <laughs> or tomorrow we're going on a hike. And that comes back to also respecting that it's your kid's vacation. Not to say that it is as much as yours, like grownups do, should get priority. They're the planners. They're the people who pay for it. But saying you're going to have the same screen time rules on vacation that you would at home is again, just putting them same different view. Totally. Totally. So we're pretty loose. My kids play a ton of iPad and games and do a ton of phone time when we're on vacation, but they also get these amazing experiences in between that I think are worth the value. And it, recharges them and it makes it feel like they have something special. And honestly, they look forward to vacation and plane rides because they're like, yes, unlimited screen time. Here I come. Yes, (laughs) It gives them, it makes vacation something they like too, because if vacation is miserable for your kids, guess who doesn't want to go on vacation with you? And then that becomes miserable for you too. And the whole thing is forced. I actually think transitioning a conversation from screen time to food makes a lot of sense, but I am going to hit pause because I'm wondering, I don't have a t- I'm not a sleek expert. I don't have a ton, but do you think it's worth talking for a minute about jet lag? Only if you have any tips or tricks. I think it's so subjective to the age of your kids, the sleep environment that you already have at home totally. and sleep systems that you already have at home where you're staying from like, whether you're in a hotel or an Airbnb to also like, are you in a city? Are you somewhere more remote? Are you camping even? Yeah. Uh, so that, I don't know. Do you have advice for jet lag? Oh, well, I think that I think I, I wanted to say everything that you said. And then I will say a couple of small things that have helped that might help other people. But okay. I, I think that doing a little bit of reading like thinking about all the things you said, like what's your context? Like, where are you going? What's the hours? Like how important is sleep to you? How well does your kid function when their sleep is messed up? Because I have one kid who functions pretty fine if you just leave him alone. Like he he can handle himself. And I have one kid who, when he was younger, especially disaster, like super disruptive when he doesn't get his sleep. Like he could not handle life at all. and. Um, I remember one, two meltdowns, one I shared on Instagram in a reel I made about the realities of traveling with kids and another meltdown that I don't have pictures of because it wasn't cute enough to take photos of, (laughs) uh, being in Rome, the Coliseum when Oliver was little. And it was like one of the worst travel days ever. (laughs) And we were like trying to separate where I was like, we can't even have these kids together. Like Oliver was out of his mind with tiredness and like could not handle life. But then we couldn't catch two cabs. It was some busy time of day. So I was like, fine, we're going to share a cab, all four of us. 
but it's not like we're together. And I was like, what? Like you say the craziest thing. So like he got in the back and had Oliver on his lap and I got in the back next to him with Isaac on my lap. And I was like, and me and Isaac, I made us look out one window and I was like, pretend we're alone. <laughs> you kind ridiculous. of lost your mind. I lost too. my mind too. Basically. Yes. Yes. So I think that thinking about the time difference and if you can slightly adjust your schedule before, like a week before you go, even just an hour in whatever direction, that's really helpful, especially if you're traveling in the US where it might just be like a one to three hour difference that actually can make a really big difference. Same with when you're there going back home, just start to like shift the schedule, even by an hour is helpful. If you land in a place with a big time difference and you have a whole day ahead and you haven't had like a full night's sleep on the plane, ah, ha, ha, because whoever does, I just would question the immediate urge to just go to sleep. <laughs> Because that can prolong a pattern of jet lag. So thinking about whether you should just stay up for a little bit, although it can backfire too, to have your kids, if your kid is like toddler to school aged, to like push them to stay awake far beyond, because then they can get overtired and not sleep well. It just can just backfire and you can have meltdowns. In which case, if you do feel like it's important for your family to sleep, 30-minute naps are what recommended. Like I've done a lot of research on jet lag for my family. And 30-minute naps, you land, maybe go walk around for a minute. Daylight is very important for when you want to try to stay up. So go outside instead of going to your hotel room immediately and like sitting in there for a while. Maybe just drop your bags, go outside, get a little breakfast then a 30 minute nap, set an alarm, go outside again, then maybe one more 30 minute nap, and then try to go to bed at a regular time. That's been a pattern that has been very, very helpful. And I know melatonin doesn't work for everybody. Some people, it makes you stay awake. Melatonin works for me and Oliver really well. And for Isaac, moderately well, it does not work for Mike, but Oliver and I will take melatonin. Three milligrams will knock us out. So then when it's like time for bed, we take a three milligram melatonin, we'll sleep. It's all natural. It is safe. I will say that I have found that in times when Oliver's had sleep challenges at home, not during travel, I have noticed that like psychologically he can start to think, oh, I need it. So, I, but I think on a trip, if you just treat it as a like trip thing, it is safe but talk to your doctor. And I have found it to be really helpful. Real quick before we sign off. No, you have to talk. You have so much to tell us about food. food. Well, no, I, it isn't going to be that. It isn't going to be that. <laughs> it isn't going to be that intense because okay, it's kind of a lot of the same stuff. Again, that like I share these great food experiences on Instagram and people are like, oh my gosh, my kid's so picky. They would never eat that. But there's a couple of factors at play. Again, my kids have been traveling for a long time and now they are 12 and 15. Isaac's been traveling internationally since he was young. So, you know, he's used to being in these situations where food that he's not used to are put in front of him. Even in Colombia, there was something that was put in front of us and he like tried, he was reluctant. He tried a little bit and he really didn't like it. It was um goat, goat meat. And, you know, but I took a picture of it because I liked it and it looked like, oh, look at the happy family eating this great, like a uh, authentic Colombian goat meat dish. Isaac didn't eat it. Like he ate the fried potatoes and then was hungry and then ate a bag of chips afterwards. So again, it's all the same stuff. It's about expectations. It's about not putting pressure on your kid to try everything, but putting in front of it making sure they don't feel pressure to eat anything that they feel like they really, really don't want to eat because I think that can backfire, especially with picky eaters. And if you're with a guide who's taking you on a food tour, which I highly recommend food tours, and you are going to feel bad if something's put in front of your kid that your kid won't eat, then you need to check yourself and say like, is this food tour the right thing for us to do? Or should I talk to the guide in the first place and maybe say, can we adjust the amounts? Because also like you pay the food tour and that includes like a certain amount of food. If you have one kid who's not going to try anything, 
let's see, can you ahead of time say like, I have a picky eater, like he may not try anything. Let them know that kind of releases the pressure. Can we adjust the price? Because we're not, instead of four servings, like we only really need two servings. We're just going to do little tastes. You have the power to do that. So do it. I think food tours are a great way to get in front of a lot of different foods so that if something's put in front of your kid that they don't like at this stop, at the next one, there might be something that they like. I also love the idea of food tours because it takes the pressure off of you to be the person feeding your family. And that we know can sometimes be the magic sauce for um, getting your kids to try new foods. It's so much different when you're already like when it's a new person serving them something. Yes. Let's say it's go versus you serving it to them where there's a a different kind of willingness to even try. And I think food tours also help put foods in context, which is where a lot of like when it isn't extreme picky, but it's like a more of a control push and pull with selective, your kid at home, right? Yes, selective yes. eater thing that like at home, there's no control. It just gets put in front of them. And there's like, what's the context here? But, you know, in a food tour, when there's someone else and there's a story around the food and there's all these different people around trying it. Like they might be willing to take a little taste and it might surprise you. When we were in Peru, we did something where guinea pig, which is a very typical indigenous dish, was put in front of us and I couldn't believe it. Isaac tried it. Oliver did it. And that is one thing I want to say about when your kids don't try things. However you want to set that up so that you feel comfortable with them not trying things and they feel comfortable saying no and having autonomy. I do think it's important, especially on these cultural tours, to talk to them if they're old enough about not yucking someone else's yum. Because Mm -hmm. if you're going to go to a place that's really, that's going to serve food that's really unfamiliar to them, you know, they need, I think it's important for them to be respectful. So just like, you know, the guinea pig was a challenge because also it wasn't just that Oliver didn't like the idea of eating it. It actually kind of, he was like, guinea pigs, but cute little guinea pigs. You know what I mean? So having a cultural context and understanding the story and why it's an important dish in Peru and giving him something he could relate it to, you know, the way we eat pork at home was important to helping him understand. And I think that really expanded his understanding of food and why people eat and how food works. In Greece once, I also took the boys to an outdoor market to the butcher section. And it was like whole animals skin because it was a a butcher market. It was the meat like hanging. And Isaac was like, oh my God, why did you bring us here? And I, so, you know, well, right. So, you know, like this is, this is what we eat too. This isn't something crazy unfamiliar to you. Like this is what beef looks like before it's hamburger meat, you know, on your plate, which you love so much. So, you know, not everybody might want to, might feel comfortable taking that approach, but these are the things to consider when you talk to, when you decide whether or not you want to do a food tour and when you talk to them about it. And know that just like the iPad, bringing it all around to the screen time and to the relaxing and being realistic, in between almost every single one of our food tours and those food experiences I share on Instagram, Oliver almost exclusively eats pasta bolognese. Oliver has eaten (laughs) pasta bolognese. Apparently pasta bolognese is like a global food now. Is it universal? Yeah. He has eaten pasta bolognese in almost Every single country we've ever been to, at least five times. He'll eat it at lunch and at dinner sometimes. <laughs> Look, he eats it everywhere. That It's comfort it, and reliable. Yes, that's what I was just yes. going to say. It's comfort and it's reliable. And when everything else is new, that's what he just wants. And we let him. He eats so much pasta bolognese on trips, I can't even tell you. Like, it, I'm surprised he doesn't come home penne-shaped. That's his thing. And it's another thing that he actually looks forward to. It's like, oh, we're going on a trip. Great. Unlimited screen time and pasta bolognese for days. (laughs) Great, dude. 
great. Which to your point about like, listen, eat fast food if so that you can afford to have the extra hotel room. There is something about the Starbucks, the McDonald's of the world and how that can be a reliable place to like at least feed them one meal a day that is like familiar, comfortable, and probably going to save you money. Yes, totally. Totally. So, you know, the food tours are great. Oh, and also I didn't say this, but cooking classes I think are really great too if your kid's into it, but a cooking class isn't going to be like, and now here's how you chop. You know, most of the cooking experiences we've had are like outdoors, or if you go to a farm, if the kids get bored, they can go run around with animals. In Costa Rica, we did one and Oliver spent the entire time trying to catch a chicken. Like he barely paid attention to the cooking part. (laughs) But he ate. But he He ate. He did. And like he got exposure again to like the story and the food and why they eat this food in this country. So those are really great. And that brings me back to like the tours and the travel agent, if you're going to use one, they can help you find reputable ones. But also like TripAdvisor is really good. Like I'm not a Yelp person. I don't like trust people when it comes to like restaurant reviews. Is that right, Megan? Yeah. I'm like, I I don't know. Like, I just want to experience it for myself and judge on my own. But TripAdvisor for, I have found for like guides and experiences can be really, really helpful. And word of mouth and asking around. And we're going to link to your travel agent. Yeah. We'll link to my travel agent. And we'll link to a couple of other, I think that travel and leisure, one of the travel publications that's still around does a like best of travel awards every year. And family travel agent is one of the categories every year. Awesome. So you can then like have a short list. And if those travel agents don't deal with a area of the world that you want to travel to or are above or below your budget and you want something else, it's a really good starting point for just like searching for another agent who works exclusively with families. Not to jump ahead, but you know who's going to have a ton of resources to share with us. I hope so. Or didn't I just feed you community? I hope that they do. We hope that you've joined us there. If not, join for free at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. Or if you want bonus episodes and other goodies, join our supporting community. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at didn't I just feed you or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're already a subscriber, guess what? Go to your podcast player and leave us a rating review. We love you. We love you. We love you. Do that now. (laughs) It brings us joy. (laughs) And it also helps other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Getzik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next time. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.